Darnell Williams at the tailback. They'll hand it off to Williams up the middle. 25. Cuts it inside. 30. 35. 40. There goes Cadillac. To the 50. To the 40. To the 30. To the 20. To the 15. 10. Go crazy, Cadillac. Go crazy. Touchdown. Now they can play a little safer. But they're not going to. Nix is back. Throws it downfield. Caught. Touchdown, Williams. A 20-yard attempt. Josh Harris, the snapper. He'll call to the place. He'll hold it. Byron waits for the snap to the place. There it is. The kick is up. The kick is good. Auburn wins. 22-19. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Auburn Today podcast. My name is Noble. I'm joined here with my co-host, Wheeler. Today, we have a lot, a lot, a lot to break down. Um, we got a lot of basketball, a lot of football, a lot of coaching, drama, a little bit of recruiting. It's going to be a good, good pod. It's going to be a little bit of a longer one, but we're here for it. Wheeler, um, let's just jump straight into this. We're going to start with our basketball talk because I think our football one is going to have a little bit, uh, little bit more spirals, a little bit more rabbit trails that we'll be going down, but... Um, just kind of let's talk about the. I think the last time we talked um, on the podcast about basketball specifically was after the UConn game. So uh, Auburn played Loyola, Auburn played Syracuse, and then uh, last night Auburn beat UCF. Just kind of walk us through, uh, just kind of starting with how you thought we bounced back against UConn. Uh, a lot of guys played a lot of minutes. The minutes game, the minutes played in the Loyola game were a little weird, but. Uh, just kind of break down what your thought process was throughout the Loyola and the Syracuse games, and then we'll both uh, kind of talk about that and then move on to Syracuse or to UCF. Bro, I think this is the first time we've ever had a team that was supposed to be good in a sport, and they actually look good in the sport. Like, this basketball team is good. Uh, you know, like, they are, yeah. they are really good. And – you know, we had our concerns going into the battle for Atlantis about how solid this basketball team is. They are good. They are really deep. They are built for the SEC, barring any injuries. I think fifth, still a, a solid pick for us just because the SEC is absolutely loaded. But this team has the potential to make a really good run in the SEC and NCAA tournament. Uh, Loyola, that's the thing, the thing about it. All three of the games since we last had a podcast, Auburn has won in three different ways, and it was not gimmicky at all. Mm -hmm. Auburn is so talented and so deep with so many different kinds of players that no matter what game you play, we can go play that game. So Loyola, they like to grind it out, have the half-court possession. That was perfect. Auburn just out athletics, you know, had more athleticism. They were turning Loyola over and still shooting very well in the half court. Syracuse wanted to run the zone defense. They literally just put Jabari right in the middle. That's his shot. Absolutely smoked him. Literally broke Syracuse's reporters, the softest people in the entire world, who literally, I mean, I thought that they were going to need to see a psychologist after somebody yelled at Jim Beheim. I mean, those people literally – Love Jim Beheim with a never-ending passion. Uh, they've never apparently seen anyone ever disrespect Jim Beheim. Uh, 
But I think that might be because Jim Beheim is typically a classy guy, and he was honestly total douche to Walker Kessler uh, when he left from North Carolina. Don't know why he decided he needed to weigh in on another team's transfer that didn't come to his school. Uh, really odd flex that he thought that that was somewhat important. Um, and he got smoked, and his little boys got smoked. Also, Jim might be a little bit of a creeper because his kids, really young. He, really old. So, something weird was happening in that family. I don't know what it was. They did produce good basketball players. Buddy Bayheim, solid player. No, Noble was hating on me pregame. So, just to pull the curtain back, you were acting like Buddy Beheim was Michael so, Jordan. No, that is not true. Just just to let the people know, welcome into our personal lives. I like to enjoy sporting events, okay? <laughs> Especially when I, I get to go home. It's typically around a holiday. I get to be with my little brother, have a good time. I get really hype about sporting events, okay? Every time... I try to point out something is good about a sporting event unless it is the most elite thing in the entire world. Noble tries to roast me for it. Literally this weekend, okay, it was, who was it, East Carolina? East Carolina and yes. Cincinnati, and you East were Carolina and on Cincinnati. the ground talking about how great East Carolina was. For those that did not was. see that game, they had a blackout. The team was wearing black uniforms. They have a absolutely nasty logo on their field it is the north carolina shape with their logo inside of it if you have not seen it go check it out the environment was absolutely electric i didn't want to turn it off but i had to to watch the auburn syracuse game turns out they weren't able to hold on the environment was not as electric by the time the basketball game ended also pregame i tell noble hey man just watch out buddy Bayheim, a little bit of a baller Noble, hater, the rest of the game. Every time Buddy Bayheim missed, he was like, ah, I can't believe Buddy Bayheim missed. <laughs> you think Buddy Bayheim is Michael Jordan? <laughs> no, I don't. I just try and enjoy the games with my family. I try and get excited. Noble crushes my dreams. Also, also, the entire week of Thanksgiving, I'm telling Noble how we have a chance in the Iron Bowl. No, we're going to shock. We're going to shock. We're going to get wrecked. After the game, Noble, abs we're tearing down our tailgate. And I have never seen Noble so broken in my entire life. He's absolutely ranting about how Auburn is a terrible program. We're never going to win anything in any sport, in any recruits, in anything. We're just terrible. We're just all here to watch our hearts get ripped out. I've never seen Noble more crushed. Anyway, so, so that was the Sefton family Thanksgiving. To to uh to just kind of to just kind of defend my honor here. Um I said not after what I, you did after the game. I said that Buddy Bayheim was a good basketball player, but I didn't think that he would be God's gift to basketball like Wheeler was making him out to be. And Wheeler exaggerates a little bit. Wheeler is downplaying how much he was talking about no, Buddy Bayheim. Buddy Bayheim he is a was solid talking about him the whole player. weekend. And he talked about East Carolina. He, he 
pulled up the East Carolina game on his phone as Auburn was playing Syracuse so that he could no. check out the environment. But let's move on. True. That's just I will I will go more into detail about my little iron ball rant when we get to our football discussion and we break down that game. But I did agree with your uh little synopsis about Jim Beheim and how much the Syracuse reporters loved him. It was, you know, kind of weird. That was a weird place in Twitter when it was all the Syracuse beat writers that were defending their coach and all the Auburn. Twitter people were just trolling them the whole time. It was kind of weird, but I kind of enjoyed it. But anyways, um, the whole – I think Bruce – I think it was Bruce. He came in and he kind of said that a lot of people were asking asking about that whole technical foul situation because everyone was kind of trying to figure out what was going on. Because um, for those that don't know, if you were in – if you were an Auburn fan in the Bahamas watching the game, like they didn't know that it was like the only people that like really knew that anything happened was when we like, if you were watching it on TV, because apparently you couldn't really hear it in the Bahamas. So it was kind of a delayed thing, but all the people that like, were watching it on TV and all the beat reporters were really trying to figure out what was going on. So they were asking about it and Bruce was kind of ducking the question. He didn't really want to talk about it. Um, Jabari apologized. I said it wasn't him or whatever. Um, and, you know, me, you know, I remember me and we that were talking about it, trying to kind of get to the bottom of it. Um, we were throwing out uh, little situations, but eventually we came, we remembered what uh, Beheim said about Walker. But also I think it was, I think it was Bruce like later. It was like, I think Monday or Tuesday, they asked him about it again. And he was like, yeah, there's a lot more to that story than meets the eye. So I think that it was more than just the the public comments that Walker said. I think there was a lot more to that. Um, but you could really tell by the way Auburn played that they really wanted to win this game. And, it, you know, Jabari and Walker especially, really Jabari just kind of seemed pissed off the whole game. And I think something about either it happened to – something else happened to Jabari specifically or Jabari is just a really good teammate, really good friends with Walker and really wanted to just kind of throw up a middle finger to Jim Beheim and go off. But whatever it was, it worked. Auburn won – uh, very convincingly um, and just kind of building again on what you said about the whole uh, you know Auburn can beat you in different ways you know Auburn beat Loyola I think Auburn beat Loyola by nine it was kind of a knockout drag out game we played good defense we shot 28 percent from three if we shot most games if we shot 28 percent from three we weren't winning like especially against a good team exactly and Loyola is a good team Loyola got a little cold in the second half but I mean they're a good team they'll probably be in the tournament Auburn against Syracuse we shot 40 percent from three good night we scored 89 against UCF we shot 31 percent from three which is eh I mean that's okay and we still scored 85 so I do think it's interesting that this team has a lot of different play styles and that's something that we really haven't seen a lot under a Bruce-led team. I mean, really, the past couple of years, it's been, all right, we're just going to shoot the ball 40 times from three and just hope enough go in to win. But this is a very different style of basketball, and it's really just a very different style, and you'll do different things every game. And it's really fun to watch just kind of the chess match of how Bruce wants to put his players to go up against the best players on the other team. Yeah. This team also had an edge against UCF last night. Uh, this basketball team's a little chippy. 
Yeah, this was, but, it was a very chippy game last night. I also – I really like it. Um, I like the edge that they play with. I feel like it helps them uh, play well just about every game. It, I feel like there's a lot less of the inconsistency almost because they're just always wanting to get into a fight with somebody. Yeah. But also I feel like all of them have been justified, like the Syracuse thing. Obviously something happened. UCF, you could tell that UCF was jawed in the first half. Um, the jungle even got a little frisky. I mean, it seemed like the jungle wanted to hop on the court and take it to these guys. There was uh one of UCF players, I can't I can't remember uh I can't remember his name. He was number 13, but he I thought he airball, I think he had five points pretty quick. He airballed a shot. And I mean, you know, whenever you airball shot, everyone, you know, the whole crowd's going to chant airball whenever you touch the ball. They were going at him, especially really hard. The hecklers were going at him. And then I think it was something ha- like the ball like bounced out of bounds. You know, a lot of the time when the bounce, ball bounces out of bounds, someone's going to shoot it. So he shot it and he airballed that one too. So then everyone just started chanting airball even more. And I mean, they were like, whenever he would, whenever he would sub out or sub in, every- would chant airball at them. I mean, I I really haven't seen, I haven't seen the crowd, especially the jungle, go after a player that hard since Avery Johnson's son was playing back in. I think it was 2017, and every time yeah. he touched the ball, everyone chanted "Daddy's boy" at him. I mean, they were after this guy because the thing I feel like the thing is UCF. I mean, truthfully, UCF has beat us in everything. Truly, they have beat us in everything. They beat us in baseball. They beat us in, I mean, obviously football back in 2017. They beat us in baseball. They beat us in basketball last year. They beat us in softball. I mean, literally, I have looked. And, I mean, I, you know, I I look at most Auburn sports and see how they're doing. And every time we play UCF, we lose. And it is honestly kind of a sad thing. But last night, we got the win over the Knights and – it just seemed like everyone wanted to fight with the UCF players. And it was kind of a funny, funny scene, but just kind of talking about about Wendell taking a three ball from, I mean, like there's a logo three and then there's like a back half of the logo three. That man was nowhere near. I mean, that was a wild shot. Yeah. I love, he even tweeted today. I don't know if you saw it. Somebody posted the screenshot, and he was like, yo, I didn't realize I was that far away. I, I really do think Wendell is one of the strangest players because if you look at his percentage from three, it's good, but his percentage from deep threes is really good. Like, I feel like when Wendell pulls – like, you know, Jared, Jared could make them, but a lot of the time it would not be surprised that Jared would – dribble down the floor, pull up from the logo, and just miss. I mean, sometimes Jared missed it bad, but a lot of the time when Wendell pulls up from deep, it goes in more than it doesn't, which is... Intriguing, to say the least. The to three gets everyone going. Um, but just kind of building on that game, you know, if you look at... I mean, if you look at Walker last game, I mean, he was just on a new one. I mean, he had... 17 points, 14 rebounds. I think he had five or six blocks. I mean, he could not be stopped. And he was just the guy that we 
recruited. You know, I mean, that was when you think of a five-star player, there have been some games where he has not played like a five-star player. There have been moments where you're like, okay, that was a really good play. That's the five-star. There have been some plays where you're like, that's not good. But really, from first whistle to final whistle, yeah. But, I mean, from first whistle to final whistle against UCF, he looked like a five-star. He looked one of the like one of the better players on the floor. Jabari was Jabari, obviously, 27-4. and four. Uh, It was much more of a front-court heavy game, but the thing is we can win with a backcourt heavy game, frontcourt heavy game, bench heavy game. It's just really, really fun to watch these guys play basketball. Speaking of bench, me and you laughed during the Syracuse game when the commentator said that Leor Berman was a stone-cold killer and an absolute just effective scorer, we thought it was hilarious and that she was just saying it. The past two games, that has proven to be true. Leor has come on strong. Since the Loyola, Syracuse, and UCF, Leor has been incredible. I mean, giving just absolute dog minutes and scoring on the offensive side. Yeah, for those wondering, Leor against UCF had 14 minutes, six points, two of two from three, two of three from the field. Uh, in nine minutes against Syracuse, six points, two of two from three, two of – or yeah, two of two from three, two of three from the field. Um, and then against Loyola, he had eight minutes, two points, one of one from the field. So – and, you know, we talked about this. I think it was after the uh, – it was either after the Moorhead State game or after the ULM game, and we were talking about how – Leor could be so much better than what he was giving us just because he was playing timid. He was playing like a walk on. Now he has gotten to the point where he is playing. Even one of the things that made me the happiest to see last night was Leor was still on the court when all the walk ons came in. And the second he got the ball, he passed it. You know, and a lot of the time when you see the walk-ons out there, they don't play a lot. They're all trying to get theirs. But Leor was essentially, it kind of the roles flipped. And when he was playing with the starters, he was like, I'm, I'm a college basketball player. I am a Auburn basketball player. Whereas when he was with the walk-ons, he was like, I'm better than all y'all. I'm going to give y'all y'all's chance. Hopefully y'all can score and, you know, it'll be good. And we talked about that, that if he, if he could get that, he could give us meaningful minutes as the 10th guy off the bench. And that's what he's doing. I mean, he is incredibly efficient on the offensive end. He's been really solid defensively and giving us, I mean, an average of 10 minutes per game in the past three games. And I think that if he keeps playing like this, when Allen comes back, you're going to see a decrease in Devin and Chris Moore's minutes. And those are going to go to Leor because he's played his way into that. And if you get to the point where you consistently play 11 guys, I mean, that's a lot of guys. That is a lot. I mean, there are a lot of college basketball teams that play eight or nine, maybe nine. But I mean, we're going to play, we're going to play 10 guys every game in SEC play, maybe 11. And I just think that is a really, really good thing. And I think this is definitely the deepest team that Bruce Pearl's ever had at Auburn. Oh, and that's huge, especially during the grind of the SEC where you're playing, you know, a game every Saturday and a game every Tuesday or Wednesday mm-hmm. um, with no breaks. I mean, that, that starts to wear on your body, especially if you're playing a ton of minutes. And nobody on the team has to play a ton of minutes. Now, yeah. obviously, you want Jabari to get a lot of minutes because he's, he's just a phenomenal talent. And you probably want Walker to get 
uh, a lot of minutes because he's just far and above. I mean, the thing is, in years past, the Dylan Cardwell would still be a really solid center in a Bruce Pearl team. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he's he's a bench player right now, but on a traditional Bruce Pearl team, he's he's your starting center, and you're, I mean, you're fine with it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, nobody has to play a ton of minutes other than Jabari. Um, I would say. I mean, the guy just he really changes the game. But also, you can win without him playing the entire game. Yeah, and like he can play really good without thirty minutes. Like he yeah. played twenty two against UCF. He had twenty point seven rebounds, four assists, and shot fifty percent from the three and the field. Like he had an incredibly efficient game on offense and defense, and only played twenty two minutes. And, I mean, Walker played 31 against UCF. Walker can play seven. Like, if Dylan plays a lot more minutes and Jay Will plays a lot more minutes, you're okay with it, you know? And they can still play really well. And it's just we don't have anyone that has to play 30 minutes a game. And if you look at the – I mean, the Final Four team, the the best basketball team that Auburn has ever had, Jared played 30-plus every game. Bryce played 30-plus every game. Chuma played 30 plus every game. Like those guys had to be playing. Those guys, they were the best players on the floor. They had to be playing. This team doesn't have that. Now, obviously, in big games, when we play the Kentuckys, when we're playing the Alabamas, the Tennessees, the Arkansas, when we're playing those, Jabari's going to be playing 30 plus. He's definitely going to be right. playing 30 plus. Walker will be playing 30 plus. KD will be playing 30 plus. But when you're playing kind of the lower level SEC competition, those guys do not have to be in the whole game. And I think that'll be really big, uh, really big for this this team in the season. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, so you're looking, you know, Auburn will play Yale on Saturday. And really, I mean, I, you know, I think UCF was the best non-conference, you know, in this kind of like the, the December non-conference slate. UCF was probably the best team left there. So probably UCF was the best team we'll be playing until LSU on the 29th. So I think that you look at that. Uh, I just have a random piece of trivia for that sparked my memory. So Auburn's playing a lot of games in December. There is one team that has made the NCAA tournament multiple times on our schedule that has never won an NCAA tournament game. Who is it? Hmm. Never? Never. Hmm. Never won an NCAA tournament game. Have been to multiple NCAA tournaments. Okay, so I know it's not going to be Nebraska because obviously Nebraska basketball has won an NCAA tournament game in all likelihood. You're grimacing. You're smiling. There's no way Nebraska has never won an NCAA tournament game. The Nebraska Cornhuskers have never won an NCAA tournament game. Really? What a shocking stat. Yes, I was speaking with a Nebraska fan today, and I asked him, I said, so is y'all's basketball team good? And he said, absolutely not. He said, did you know that we have never won an NCAA tournament game? We have only played. He said they've made it multiple times. They have never won an NCAA tournament game. And this is a big Nebraska fan. Like, he knows his stuff. Yeah. Wow. 
that's shocking. shocking. That really is shocking. Yeah. From the same land. I mean, I view Nebraska and Indiana as like the same state. Like they're right next to each other. They're both just cornfields. And Indiana has Hoosiers. They have storied basketball. Yeah, great basketball program. Yeah. Nebraska, terrible. Terrible basketball tradition at the University of Nebraska. That is that's crazy. I was gonna guess, I was gonna guess I probably would have ended up guessing North Alabama. And I don't remember the last I don't think they've ever made the tournament. But I mean I know for a fact St. Louis and Murray State have both won because they both have won a game recently. But I was just wow, that is that's interesting. You learn something new every day. If you're listening to this podcast and you know any Nebraska basketball fans, go and make fun of them for being bad. But um just yeah, so I mean Auburn in all likelihood will win, you know, if they play up to their standards, they will in all likelihood win the rest of their games going into conference play. And that'll put us at one, two, three, four, five. That'll put us at 11 and one going into the beginning of conference play, which is a really good record playing LSU at home to kick it off. I mean, that place will absolutely be rocking, have some really good teams on the schedule early. Um, And did you, uh, did you watch the, you know, you look at, we, you know, we all talk about – My sound about, went out. Sorry. Apologies for that. We had just a slight technical difficulty, but we're back. We're moving along. Um, that will pretty much close up the basketball talk. We'll just kind of move on into football. Obviously, you know, we talked extensively about the Iron Bowl last week on the pod. This was a game where I predicted a little bit more of a blowout um, I said, my, I remember my predict. I said it would be similar to the Georgia game, um, in the sense that we were kind of competitive, but the score would not indicate that. Wheeler predicted a win. Wheeler was much more. Wheeler was much closer to the actual result than I was. Um, you know, and he was he was making fun of me the day of. I think it was because we were we were seeing a lot of people. You know, a lot of people were saying, "Oh, we're going to get killed." A lot of people were optimistic that we would win and I remember you told me you said that I was starting to believe but I just didn't want to believe so that I didn't get my hopes dashed right in front of me well what happened was for about 58 minutes I started to believe and then I just saw slowly and slowly all the hope that I had in that game being just dashed right before my eyes the second I saw the touchdown and I saw we were going to overtime, that's when I knew it was over. But we'll get into a little bit more of that as we go along. But Wheeler, take us through just let's just take us through the first half. What were your thoughts? What were you thinking throughout the game? Just your instant reaction. What were you thinking at halftime? Just what was going through your mind when we went into halftime? I think it was, what, 7-0 to zero at halftime? Something like that? So, I predicted that the score was going to be 29-24. to 24. Ended up being 24, so I got Bama's score right to 22. Here's the thing. I did not think that Auburn's defense was going to be able to play that lights out. Uh, I mean – uh, I just and if you say that you saw that coming, then either you're lying or you're delusional. That that was that was a realistic statement to make going into the game. 
Um, every single person on Auburn's defense played the game of their life. I mean, legitimately. The defensive line, I think Derek Hall had more plays in this single game than he had, like, all year. He played a phenomenal game. And he's uh, uh, this isn't that that's not a that's not a knock on him no, this season. No, no, no. I mean, he's been a good he, player. He's been he's been very solid this season, but he was playing like all American level during the Iron Bowl. Like yeah. if he had played the game that he played against Alabama every single game this year, he would have been an all American. I mean that that's just a reality. I mean, he was absolutely amazing. T D Moultrie had the, that was the best game in his Auburn career, too. Mm-hmm. He had a really great game. Edgar Leona had a sack. The defense, I mean, th- so the defensive line had seven sacks against Alabama. That was, I think that was the most sacks they've had in a game since Akron. They, they've they had like, I can't remember, how many sacks? We've had like 19 sacks on the year, and seven of them were against Alabama, and seven of them were against Akron. Like, it's something crazy like that. The defensive line played out of their minds. Chandler Wooten played an amazing game. That that was the best game Chandler Wooten's played at Auburn. Zacoby McLean, he plays amazing every game. So, I mean, I don't know that that was necessarily his best game that he's ever had just because the defensive line was playing so well, he didn't have to have one of his crazy games where he, where made... he has 16 tackles. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. he's he was still playing really well. He was... You know, seeing his assignments, keeping the the run stop. They did a great job stopping the run. Um, sure, it helped that Alabama's best receiver got tossed from the game on a targeting. But Roger McCreary was playing absolute clamps until the last drive when his hamstring quit on him. And, I mean, he still was – I mean, he came back in the overtime and played pretty well in the overtime. He ended up, I mean, giving up the two-point conversion. But, I mean – that route with that receiver after you've just played quadruple overtime and you've been clamps all game, like you're not covering it. It doesn't matter no, who you are. No, I I don't care who you are. That is first of all, if that route is run well and that ball is thrown well, it's impossible to cover. Mm-hmm. Like, especially in that situation where if you don't bite on the slant, then they'll just he run scores the, the slant. Yeah. Yeah. Because Alabama's an RPO team. That's a that's an option route. If you sit back and wait for it, which, I mean, who's going to sit back and wait assuming that that's going to be the route? Nobody. You jump the slant. That's the way you play it. And then you hope that, you know, the guy slips on his break or the ball's throw. I mean, that's a pretty tough throw. Considering the circumstances of game on the line, that's a tighter window than it looks. That's a tough throw. Bryce Young executed it perfectly. Mechie ran the route perfectly. Um, I don't blame Roger for that at all. I mean, it, it, he played a heck of a game. Everybody on the defense just played absolutely amazing. And so, I mean, that's the thing. There, no one on Auburn's team had a bad game. I didn't think any of the plans that the coaches had. I, the only thing, I guess, if you want to go back, because there's always, you know, hindsight, where people want to pick apart what the coaches and what the players did. Really, the only thing that I think you could potentially say with your hindsight is why is Bobo throwing the ball in the fourth quarter at all? Like, 
I, I can see somewhat you saying that, but also he's trying to get first downs and put a drive together, even though TJ is on one ankle, which this game, TJ went out and gave it his best effort. And I am really appreciative as an Auburn fan for the effort that he gave. He is not Bo Nix. And when he's on one ankle, he's really not Bo Nix. We saw both of them on one ankle. And I think we know which one was better on one ankle. Anyway, TJ, I thought, I mean, he's just not that good. You know, it's not that he wasn't playing well or he was having an off day. Like, that's about what we expected out of TJ. Uh, I thought Tank Bigsby ran the ball really hard. Obviously, it's a tough break that he goes down out of bounds. Um, But I also, I mean... I understand he's thinking I can get the first down on this play and the game is over and it doesn't matter that I go out of bounds and then you get a tough spot called against you and you think, okay, well, I'll pick it up on third and one. And then Bobo decides to run it out of the shotgun and it gets blown up and you lose five yards. So hindsight says, yeah, that was a really dumb play. But in the moment, I can see where he's thinking I'm betting on myself. I'm going to go win this game. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was just, it was a really good game by all the people involved with Auburn. I was really proud of the team. I was proud of the coaches and the plan. And sometimes you just come up short and it's nobody's fault. That's just the game of football. And Alabama was significantly more talented, significantly. I mean, they had every single advantage you could possibly have, um, and Auburn almost pulled it off, but they didn't quite do it. I do – I think the biggest regret Harson will have, honestly, coming out of that is having that shinker play in his back pocket and not running it at the end of the first overtime when you win the game with a two-point conversion. Um, hindsight says – you know I, that's what I'm saying. It's all hindsight. Hindsight says that play worked perfectly. You know, it says shinker's not covered – guy goes out there and makes the block and he gets in like he does in the second overtime or third overtime. And, but you know, we don't know what the look was um, that they would have gotten. So I don't know. I was super proud of the team. I was not discouraged. I was highly encouraged. And honestly, I mean, we had an elite visitor list of recruits this week. And I think that this is the most recruiting momentum we've had at Auburn in a long time. Even I, – I don't know that we're – obviously we're not going to land all these people. But if you look at message board, hot boards of who Auburn is getting in-home visits with and who is dropping us in their top five after the Iron Bowl, it looks a lot different than it did in the week going into the Iron Bowl. So things are looking up. Um yeah, so I'll let you I'll let you give your thoughts on the game, and then we'll move on to the other rabbit holes that I was about to go down. My thing, I, I agreed with the. I, I mean, we you know we've talked about this, I mean, incessantly, but I agreed with a lot of what you said. Um, you know, everybody gave it their all. Every single member of the defense played a fantastic game. Hats off to every single one of those guys. Uh Roger McCreary had four pass, passes deflected against the best offense in the country. I mean, he earned his money. I mean, he's going to be 
first-round pick in the NFL, no doubt. Colby Wooden, love the team in tackles. Fantastic game, again, for him. He's had a great year. Um, I mean, you just look at that, just look at the defense. Obviously, you know, we talked about, you know, you named a lot of the guys, but everyone on that defense played so, so well, and you just hate it for them that they were so close to really holding Alabama to three points. And it yep. just didn't – I mean, you look at – I mean, you look at – they allowed 24, but it's like, okay, we well, went to four overtimes, and you can't fault a defense for – Yeah, there were two – there were two fourth and longs on the last drive that if you make the stop, the game ends 10 to three. Yeah. I, I think – my my thing was, before the game, I, I – if you had told me – if you had told me that Alabama was going to score three points in the first half, I would have been really surprised. If you told me that Alabama was going to have three points in the fourth quarter, I would have been really surprised. I thought that our defense would play a good game and allow like 10 to 14 in the first half. And then I expected us to kind of, you know, I, I, I expected that if I expected that our offense would struggle, I predicted us to score 10 points and that's what we scored in regulation. I expected that our defense was going to be on the field a ton and that they were going to run out of gas which eventually they did, and that's what you saw in overtime. I mean, I think that if you put third-quarter Auburn defense out there in overtime, I think they get some stops. But, I mean, the defense had been on the field all game. They had all played so well. They were gassed. You, I mean, that's just how football works. You can't play that good. Of, you can't be on the field for that long and do so. I mean, you saw, I mean, 2019, one of the better – I mean, one of the best defenses Auburn has ever had. That team was on the field the whole Iron Bowl. And they got – I mean, they allowed 48 – or the defense only allowed 38. But still, they allowed 38 points. So, I think that it's just – that was just an unfortunate reality of the situation. Um, offensively, hats off to TJ. He played – I mean, he tried his best. But, you know, his situational – and it's really not even – you know, I, I really do think if Bo Nix plays or win that game by multiple scores – and it's not just because he's a better he's better at avoiding the pressure, he's better at making the tough throws, he's better at moving the offense. The thing, the biggest fault that I had with TJ Finley, and obviously it's in hindsight, his situational awareness is just not very good. And that's the thing, is that I think it was um it was third and five. It was third and five. We were at around the thirty. 235 yard line around that and I said I was like we need to run this ball and the thing is this wasn't necessarily the wrong call by Mike Bobo because if you are in that kind of game if you have your starting quarterback and we ran the ball up the middle you'd be like what are we doing that was a bad call but the issue is we tried to throw for it TJ gets sacked breaks his ankle in on that play and then we lose yards, get out of field goal range. If we are, if we just run the ball up the middle, line Ben Patton up for a field goal, with how he was kicking, he probably makes it. And if he doesn't, you deal with it. But if Ben Patton gets the chance to kick the field goal and makes it, we win the game. And there were a couple things where you look back and you're like, oh, if this happened, this happened, you win the game. But I'm, you know, walking out of the game, I was not mad at up player or a coach I mean I was like you know like what you said in hindsight things are more clear um and I was really I was surprised that Harson didn't go for two at the end of the first overtime 
because if you have if you have your starting quarterback, if you're at full strength, it is the right play to live to see another down and just keep going. My thing was we know like I knew as soon as we went to overtime that we were going to lose the game because I just saw how tired our defense was in, on that last drive. Alabama was moving. I was like, we're not going to outduel this offense because their defense is still f- somewhat fresh. Our, and their defense even got gashed. I mean, that's, that's the reason we made it to four overtimes is because their defense was just as tired as ours was. But they were deeper than us. And I was just like, we're not going to win this game if we go to overtimes. And we didn't. We couldn't keep up with them. And I felt like even – I mean, even I felt like they were scoring a lot more fluidly. I mean, I feel like we were. I mean, I, I mean, feel, you got Landon King making the catch of yeah. a lifetime, one-handed in the back of the end zone, and their guys are just—I mean, there's nobody within ten feet of them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Landon King made a—I mean, shout out. I mean, that was a great catch, a great play call to get Shinker on his, and it was just so many things where we're like, wow, like that was a good play. But and then Alabama ben Patton making just, a fifty-yard field goal. Exactly, and you're just like, dude, like they are. And it was just – and that was the thing that was so frustrating to me is I was just sitting there and I was just like, we just got to hope that something weird – and they fumbled the snap or something because it was – Alabama was just running their base offense and was just scoring so easily. And Auburn was just going in – I mean, just going as deep into the playbook as we could to try and get something to happen. And that was something that was kind of frustrating. But I didn't – I wasn't mad at a player. I wasn't mad at a coach. I mean, I, it was just like you said. I mean, sometimes you play good and you just lose, and that's just football. Sometimes you play and you just lose the game. There's got to be a winner or a loser. Alabama more made more plays than us, and that's just how it happens. But it was just very, it was just a really tough game. But if you do look at it, and the the one thing you know, I I've been slightly critical of Brian Harson because of the lack of results that he has had on the field. We went into November with the possibility of winning the SEC West. We went zero and four and ended up finishing the regular season six and six. We now have a backup quarterback that is currently in a boot, and we're going to play in probably the Music City Bowl against some. Big Ten or ACC school, who knows if we'll win. I, you who know, cares? Yeah, I mean, I, I really this. You know, usually I, I, I enjoy, I enjoy bowl games. I enjoy watching the team play, whatever. And I'm gonna, I'm, I mean, I'm gonna watch the game. I'm gonna enjoy it. I might, you know, who knows? I might be there. Might be cheering them on. Who knows? I'll enjoy it no matter what. But this bowl game, more than any bowl game in a long time is the most who cares about the result of this game. I think that, but with how critical I've been of Brian Harson with the results, he had a great visitor list recruits. It's looking, it's looking good. I mean, I, I'm, I'm weary to say good because we're trending in the right direction for a ton of guys, but they haven't signed yet. And that's my thing. Once they sign and once we get guys that are, you know, the early enrollees, and we kind of see a solidified recruiting class, I'll start – I might change my tone a little bit. But my biggest thing is that Brian Harson has not yielded results at Auburn. But I will – I mean, just huge compliment to this guy. He has not lost the team one bit. 
I mean, from, you know, you saw it against Akron ASU. Players were happy. They were excited. They were juiced up. Going to Penn State, they're juiced up, lose a tough game. That was our first test where we, you know, I remember I went live after that and I said it'll be interesting to see how Harson gets the guys to wake up for this one. Going to Georgia State, it wasn't a good one. I mean, it, it, it was kind of a sloppy game in all counts. You got a little word. Going to LSU, team was balled in, team was juiced up, win a dogfight in Baton Rouge against Georgia. Put up a great fight, lost. I go in, go into after that, a game that it was kind of like, all right, you're riding the momentum from Baton Rouge, go and play a top two team. And, you know, everyone's excited. You play pretty well, then you lose. And then you have to go play Arkansas and Fayetteville. You won by 15. Team was balled in. Play, have a bye. Play Ole Miss at home. Place was absolutely rocking. They win. I mean, emotions are high. Texas A&M shuts down the offense. We lose 20 to three. Mississippi State, you blow a 28-3 lead. South Carolina, you lose. Alabama, they come in with their tails on fire. They're playing their hardest. The team, the team's effort has not been bad in any game at any point. Mm. Like, even against South Carolina and Mississippi State, the fault wasn't for effort. Like, you know, like Mississippi State, I mean, not uh, South Carolina, I got on the podcast and I just trashed Mike Bobo for about 15 minutes for not giving him tank the ball. The players did their jobs. Like, and against Alabama, the players did their jobs. So the players are definitely bought in. And that, just kind of looking at our season, a lot of people have compared just, they've compared Brian Harson's first year. A lot of people, the optimists, the Brian Harson fans, have all been bringing up Nick Saban's first year at Alabama. And obviously, I have been critical of this assessment because I think it's difficult to put expectations for Brian Harson, like Nick Saban had, but you look at his, you look at his Alabama first season. I mean, they started out with a blowout win against a bad team. They beat Vanderbilt by fourteen. They beat a ranked Arkansas by three. So you know everyone's high. They lost a close one to Georgia by three. Then they lose to Florida State by seven. Team could get down. They have a close one against Houston, win by six. Close one against Ole Miss, win by three. Big win against rival Tennessee, 41-17. to And then play LSU. Everyone's high. They're playing the number three team in the country. They lose by seven. Then they lose to Mississippi State in a dogfight by five. They lose to Louisiana Monroe. I mean, losing to Louisiana Monroe for Nick Saban is worse than if Brian Arson lost to Georgia State. They lose to Lamo. They lose to Auburn in the Iron Bowl by seven. And for those that don't, I mean, that was a hard-fought game. And then they go in and beat Colorado in their bowl game by six in the the Independence Bowl, which there's a decent chance that Auburn points in the Independence Bowl. So Nick Saban never lost his team in 07. And we all know 08 was a great year for Alabama. And then ever since then, they haven't looked back. They've been elite. So – while I'm not saying by any means that Brian Harson is Nick Saban and that Brian Harson is going to bring a dynasty to Auburn, but Brian Harson never lost the team, and that is something that you commend because if Gus Malzahn was coaching this team, I do think that there are some games that this year that we would have won that we lost, but I also think there are some games that we won that we would have lost, if that makes sense. But if Gus, if a Gus Malzahn coach team got shut down in College Station – blows a lead to Mississippi State, and then loses to South Carolina, 
they're losing that Iron Bowl by 50. They are going to get worked. And I think that's the biggest difference in the eras of Auburn football is that if Brian Harson can capitalize on the recruiting weekend, get some good players in this program that he recruited and maybe get some results, you know, I think that he could win over the hearts of some Auburn fans. Obviously, I want to see results. First and foremost, I want to see results on the football field. But if I see a good recruiting class that he ties together at the end here, I will be at the same point that I was last going into the season. I will be like, okay, I'm 50-50 with Harson. If he has a good performance next season, that's when we can start gauging, when it's more, more so his guys, more so his scheme um, and all that. But with all that being said, that kind of, I feel like that kind of wraps up our Iron Bowl talk, unless you have anything else to add. But obviously, Mike Bobo is gone. He's no longer here. He's gone. So Auburn now is searching for an offensive coordinator, and I feel like we've talked about this after every football season because we kind of have. But okay, we learned- do you think do you think Parson fired the guy, or do you think it was just understood he needed to move on? I think he fired him. I think I, I think that it was Auburn firing Mike Bobo. I don't think it. I, I don't. What, what do you think? What do you think the straw that broke the camel's back was? South Carolina. I think that he was gone after that South Carolina game. I don't think you can't fault the guy for Alabama. I mean, you really can't. Like he didn't necessarily make horrible play calls. It was just T.J. Finley couldn't get it done. And I think that yeah. if. But like you, you can't you can't fault Bobo for that one for the offense struggling against a defense that was just so much better than our offense. I think the straw that broke the camel's back was kind of a combination of the Texas A&M just getting shut out. I don't think people were looking great on him, but I think South Carolina when you wouldn't give the ball to Tank, I think that that's really really what lost it for him. Yeah, no, I agree. But so. All right, offensive coordinator. Who do you uh, – what are you thinking? My initial the, – the first name that came to my head when, when the news broke that Mike Bobo – or the, when I first heard the news that Mike Bobo was going to be released or whatever, however you want to word it, when he was not going to be there, the first name that came to my mind was Del McGee running back coach at Georgia, former Auburn Tiger. I mean, great recruiter. I mean, he's been at Georgia for a little while. I think it's time for him to be an OC. I think he will be an OC at the end of this season. That was the first name that came to my mind. I think that he would be a guy, you know, I I personally am prioritizing recruiting more so than on the field results. Because my thought process is, and I know this is different. I think I'm – I'm fairly confident that my mindset about how Auburn football is and Brian Harson's are different. Brian Harson wants to win now, and he's going to make a hire to win now, and that's why I don't think we'll hire Del McGee. But I think that Del McGee would be a guy that if we brought in, he would get recruiting on the right track, and it would be kind of a slower incline to get Auburn football to where it needs to be. But that was the first name that came to my mind. Um, a lot of people were bringing up Dan Mullen – I know oh. you would have you would have hated that hire. Um, I'm trying to think of another guy. Uh, Jeff Grimes. Of, 
Jeff Grimes was a name a lot of people were throwing out. Um, Brennan Carroll, Pete Carroll's son, was a name that I saw a lot. It was kind of a weird Golly. I don't even know. No. Um, you know, but I I think I I think I texted I think I texted you the night that he got fired, and I said, I think we're gonna hire someone weird, someone from more of a mid-major. I sent you some names that were I mean left a little bit uninspiring yeah I mean you know they were admittedly I mean a lot of guys that I had researched um just for the people that are curious the first names that I researched that night it was Andrew Souter from Kent State Ryan Grubb from Fresno State Jake Moreland from uh originally from Western Michigan currently the uh one of the coaches for the New York Jets uh Garrett Riley at SMU those guys were just kind of more mid-major guys that have had some success that I thought that Harson would be, you know, willing to hire. And because I, I really just don't think that Brian Harson will bring in an SEC guy. I don't think that Adele McGee or a Dan Mullen is a realistic option for who Brian Harson will hire. I think he'll hire someone a little bit more under the radar. But either who were the first guys that you were kind of thinking when you heard that Mike Bobo was uh, out? Yeah, uh, like you said, uh, Dell McGee came to mind. Jeff Grimes came to mind. Uh, I saw on a lot of people's hot boards, like you said, Pete Carroll's son, uh, his offense was absolute hot garbage, and that would have been a terrible hire. Um, I'm blanking on the guy's name right now, but the Arizona State offensive coordinator, yeah, um, he had a lot of buzz kind of in his name. That seems to have cooled off a little bit. Um, but now kind of the name that's coming up to the top here tonight on uh Thursday night is the, uh, the offensive coordinator from Western Kentucky, uh, Zach Kittle, is Kitley. that Kitley. Kitley, Kitley, yes, Zach Kitley. So it is not. An official thing, but there is a lot of smoke that uh, Kitley. I would not be surprised at all if Kitley were named the guy tomorrow, uh, on Friday, which is probably when people are going to listen to this tomorrow or Saturday. Um, I think they kind of need to get moving on this so that you have an offensive coordinator hired before the uh, the signing day happens. Do you agree? I mean. Yeah, I definitely think that we need to have the hire made before signing day. Um, but I don't think it was necessarily a huge, huge flaw to fire Bobo two weeks before the signing period, if that makes sense. But I do definitely think the offensive coordinator needs to be hired as soon as possible. And I think that if we hired somebody after December 15th, that would just be a very bad decision. I cannot imagine that a lot of people are coming to Auburn because of Mike Bobo. Yeah, well, my thing is, you know, that you know, and I think it was I mean, as soon as he got as soon as he got fired, you know, you see a lot of recruits that were like, "Oh, wow, like, that's surprising." Like I think Demari Austin just tweeted, "Wow." But then they asked him and he was like, "Oh, no, like I'm I'm 100% committed to Auburn. Holden Gurner, 100% committed to Auburn." You know, everyone was like, "I was surprised," but they were like, "But I really don't care." Is essentially what they were saying. And yes. I think that a lot of the guys, I think that especially this staff really is recruiting to the school more so than recruiting to a specific coach. And I think that that's more of a, you know, that's just kind of more of a mid-major thing that you do. 
because with the revolving door of coaches out there for one, and it's just, that's just what you do. Like Gus Malzahn, his guys recruited to the coach. And that's why you saw so many transfers. Lincoln Riley just goes to USC and he's bringing half his recruiting class with him because they were all going to him. So I definitely think that this staff is recruiting for the school more so than recruiting to themselves. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, we saw Western Kentucky. We were a little bit scared by that. Then we started looking. And let me just tell you all, this man has a dog of a quarterback. Dude threw over 300 – or over – 300 yards in multiple games, obviously, because he threw for 5,000 yards on the season. For context, Bo Nix threw for less than 5,000 yards between his freshman and sophomore seasons combined. Okay, so this guy likes to sling the ball around. His uh, running backs did not have a ton of yards. I think their leading rusher had like 350 yards on the season. Um, But combined, their running backs had about 1,000 yards. Um, And obviously – you know, if you have Jarquez and Tank, that's probably better than the running backs you have at Western Kentucky. And so you'll probably change your offense a little bit based off of the talent you have, um, especially if we don't get any receivers in this class, which it's not looking great for the receivers, um, which is a weird, weird flex in my opinion. I, I don't understand why a receiver would not want to come play here because Auburn has – threw the ball a lot this year to a lot of bad receivers. And I guess maybe they don't want to come because those receivers will all still be here. But also, if you don't think you're better than that, that's kind of scary. We really want you. Yeah, like, I mean, I I feel like if if the reason a wide receiver is not coming to Auburn is because they're scared that they won't play, then, then they're just not that good. Yeah, exactly. Um. Which, I will say, the receivers did improve throughout the season. Uh, yeah, and I and this is I, I truly think that Kobe Hudson, and I think I said this, I, I may have said this on a question sticker, I may have said it here. I truly believe that Kobe Hudson will end up being a good wide receiver. Now, Demetrius Robertson, I, I don't know about him. Shedrick Jackson, I just I don't know about him. Elijah Cannon transferred because he. I mean, I think he'll transfer to some small school. Xavion, I think he'll be okay. But Kobe's a guy where I'm like, okay, I think if you get a little bit more consistent, you could you could go play somewhere. in the league. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, yes, I agree. Yeah, Javaris, he could end up if he gets a little more consistent catching the ball. He could be a good. He's got the speed. Receiver. Yeah, he's got the speed to take the top off of a defense. Um, I do. I think if they have good coaching, there's potential that the wide receivers could make a step in the right direction and be serviceable next year. That's the thing. If Auburn can get a couple of guys from the transfer portal, and this might sound a little extreme. I know you're going to say I'm smoking the crack. This was very similar to the 2003 season, in my opinion. In this way, the team – did not meet the expectations of what the talent was. But there is a chance for a lot of guys to come back and right the wrongs. For example, 2003 team had Cadillac, 
Ronnie, and Jason Campbell, all would have been NFL draft picks. Okay. So this team doesn't have guys that necessarily you're worried about going to the NFL, but the transfer portal. Well, I don't know. Maybe Bo Nix thinks he's going to the NFL right now. That's a weird thing, too. I still hadn't figured that out. We'll talk about that a little later. Anyway, you have the potential. If Tank comes back, if Bo comes back, maybe Nick Brahms takes his COVID year. Obviously, he's not Ronnie Brown, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. You have Owen Papo if he comes back. If you have, you know, some D linemen that come back and they're actually serviceable next year. You have the potential to mix in with it if you end up getting a good recruiting class and get a couple of JUCO guys to be really solid next year. Anyway, not to get on that rabbit trail. But we have the potential to be really good next year, depending on how the rest of this recruiting class goes. I I agree with I agree with some of what you're saying. I think that, you know, if you look I think your comparisons to the the 2013 or the not the 2013 the 2003 team are super crazy. I mean, I think you know you look at the the numbers. I mean, Carnell had 1,307 rushing yards. Tanks had 1,002. I think he just hit a thousand. Um, Ronnie has Ronnie's rushing numbers are similar to how Jarquez's were. Um, so I think Jarquez actually had a better year this year than Ronnie did in 03. And so I think that if you, you know, we've said that Tank and Jarquez could definitely be the next Cadillac and Ronnie, and I still believe that. Um, Bo Nix had a better year this year than Jason Campbell did in 03, and that's not debatable at all. Jason Campbell in 03 really wasn't even that good. But I think that this is just the transfer portal is the biggest thing to watch this season. And so far, as of Thursday night, the guys that are locked in in the portal were fine. Like, I mean, Sean Shivers, like, yeah, we love the guy. Who, by the way, props to him, even though he's, you know, leaving. Props to him. He has developed over the season, found his role, and he found his role in our offense. And that was that was a good thing. Um you know, if he had not really gotten the role that he had, there was not really anything that he could have done at Auburn. And so this is, you know, this year was the peak. I think he just wanted to go somewhere where he, he could be a starting running back, lower level school. You know, I, he's done good things at Auburn. Um, I'm fine with him leaving. I mean, I wish him the best. He's one of the transfers where you're like, okay, you know, good luck. I, and I truly hope he does well wherever he goes. Love Sean Shivers. We'll always hope he does well. But Damari Austin can do what Sean Shivers did this year as a true freshman, and I believe that. Like, And even if he doesn't, and even if Damari comes in and isn't that good, like having two pretty darn good running backs is perfectly fine. And so I, I'm not really sweating Sean Shivers being gone. Elijah Cannon, he's done virtually nothing in his Auburn career except for uh, he had a really good game against Northwestern in a completely meaningless game. Caleb Johnson, D-line. I mean, he was a depth piece. He came in, but he's been suspended most of the year. The D-line got better even when he wasn't there. Not really sweating over him. The ones that are, I think, are kind of meaningful. You have Tayshawn Manning, 
and Ladarius Tennyson. And Tayshawn Manning was a guy that you don't really want to start, but if an offensive lineman gets hurt, he can come in and you he will not just be absolutely outmatched. I mean, he came in a lot in relief of Brandon Council, started a few games, and he did his job, and there was not much of a drop-off. Ladarius Tennyson came in and placed his eye on Puckett and really took a lot of his playing time, And even though Zion never really got 100% back healthy. But Ladarius was a guy that was a good player for us, and I think that we'll miss him. But if we can, I think that both those guys are replaceable in the transfer portal. And I think you can find guys that are transferring and bring them in to replace those guys. So, so far in the transfer portal, we've been okay. But a lot of the rumors circulating, the tank rumors have cooled off a little bit. And I think as long as Cadillac is still a running backs coach, tank will be here. And I, I, I feel confident in my assessment there. Wheeler, what would you like to share your thoughts about the whole Bonick situation? Look, I I can't figure out if the guy is butthurt that people roast him on Twitter or if he's butthurt that people boo him or if this is a stunt to try and get more NIL deals or if this is a stunt to get people on Twitter to have hashtag comeback bow or if he's putting his foot in the water for the NFL or also the rumor that he wants to go wherever his dad goes if he gets a college gig. There's so many things going around, and I never in a million years would have expected Bo Nix to be the person that we were concerned about transferring. But here we are. But I don't know. It's still weird. Like, he keeps saying that he's not committed to staying at Auburn, but, like, he's never, like, said... I'm thinking about transferring or I'm thinking about looking at the NFL. He's just like, well, we got to see. So I'm like, I don't know. It's it's the weirdest. I think it's one of the weirdest things that's happened in Auburn football in recent memory. So I have no idea. And the weird thing is no one does. Like there's not even rumors going around about what the guy's thinking. Like it's like just this thing of like, in very public interviews, Bo says this, but there's no like insider information, no insider rumor, non-insider rumor. Like Facebook doesn't even have rumors. It's the it's the strangest situation in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. It's been very weird. And I just on one hand, I really don't like there are a lot of people that transfer where you're just like, it doesn't make sense, like, just get over it. I, I kind of do understand what Bo Nix is coming – if he does transfer, because he has been dealt a horrible, horrible hand in his first three years at Auburn. I mean, he's had a new OC every year. He's had two head coaches, and the fan base hates him. I mean, the, the fan base was chanting T.J. Finley's name, and T.J. Finley is just not good. So I do kind of understand why he would be offended at that, but I just I just can't see him. I just really don't know if I see it. And I know that the only thing that I've seen that I from someone that I believe is I think Justin Hokinson said, I think last night he said that he might be leaning towards transferring. But the thing is, but it's a very fluid and he said that it's a very fluid situation. And the thing is, but nobody has even like nobody has said where he would go. And the point, the people that, you know, 
are saying anything are putting forth absurd, absurd ideas that he is going to JSU because they saw him talking to Rich Rodriguez and Mike Bobo at the Super 7. Newsflash, guys. He's at the Super 7 to watch his little brother play football, and he's talked to Mike Bobo probably every day since Mike Bobo was hired at Auburn. In all likelihood, they have talked every day. If you see him at something, he's not just going to not talk to him. They have talked every single day for about a year. He's not just going to act like he doesn't know the guy. He's going to talk to him. And Bo probably doesn't know a ton of people there. Like, he's hanging out on the sidelines. He probably doesn't know the people that are taking pictures and writing stories about Central versus Thompson because he's at Auburn. He's not in high school. So he's going to talk to Mike Bobo, and Mike Bobo's friends with Rich Rodriguez. So that probably explains why he's sitting there talking to him while watching his little brother play. So no, Bo Nix is not transferring to Jacksonville State University. He's been the starting quarterback at an SEC West school for three straight years. He can go a lot of places in the country and start. He's not going to go to JSU. He's not going to go to Troy. He is going to go to a Power 5 football program. The man is engaged. He's not just going to say, come on, babe, let's go to Jacksonville, Alabama, or let's go to Troy. He's going to say, all right, we're going to go to a Power 5 football program, and I'm going to try and make the NFL. And people who are saying that he's going to go and play for Pat Nix, wherever Pat Nix gets hired, if he gets hired in college. No, he's not. He played for his dad for five years. He wants to go to the NFL. He doesn't want to have the feel-good moment with 20,000 people in the crowd to see it. He wants to go somewhere where there's real football being played, and he is going to go somewhere Power 5 if he transfers from Auburn. Now, with that being said, as of right now, I do not think Bo Nix will transfer, and I'll say that. Wheeler, do you think that Bo Nix will transfer from Auburn University? No. I think if Bo Nix transfers from Auburn, he might become the most hated Auburn player of all time. I think if he ends up – do you think – do you think – so, obviously, a lot of the people that – I mean, because there's – I would say there's a decent portion of the, of the fan base that hates Bo Nix. And whatever he does, they will not like him unless he truly wins the Heisman and wins a national championship. But if Bo Nix ends up being a second or third round pick, there are still going to be fans that hate the guy. So, do you think that the amount of people that hate him will increase or decrease – if he transfers and does really well at a school or does really poorly, what do you think his fan If he base transfers, would get? the number of people that hate him are going to go up because the people that hated him at Auburn are not going to like him if he goes and plays at Purdue. And the people that did like him at Auburn are going to feel betrayed that he left and claimed to be some big Auburn guy this whole time and then left. If he leaves, absolute good riddance. I hope you suck. That's my thought on it. Will you? But do you think I will not root for him anywhere he goes if he leaves? Do you think that fans will hate him more? Yeah. Let's say he goes to. We'll just throw out a random school. Let's say he goes to North Carolina. If he goes to North Carolina, wins eleven games, ends up being a first round pick. Do you think more people would hate him then, or if he absolutely sucks it up, gets benched, and never? even sniffs the NFL. Oh, I think people obviously hate him more. If he wins 11 games, if he transfers, I hope he's never invited back to the university. I'm serious. That needs to start being the thing. If you transfer, you 
you don't get invited back. Like that's just the way it is. Once you leave, you're gone. See ya. That's my well, thought on go. it. Once yeah, you're gone, it, you when you choose to leave, you choose to leave the the Auburn. I mean, you're not in anymore. I think that I will almost if Bo Nix transfers and is good, I will the reason I will not like it is because I have defended him for so long. And yeah. if he ends up being good and it doesn't benefit Auburn in the least, I would just not be happy about how I've spent that time of my life. But no, it's like look, man, it's like breaking up with a girl. You do not hope that she goes and gets with some good looking dude and he's rich and famous. You hope that she ends up with some dude with a beer belly who lives in New Zealand. You know? Get, yeah, yeah. I get I get what you're saying. But I just I just don't know, man. I just don't know what's gonna happen there. Um obviously I hope Bo Nix comes back. Um you know, hopefully I think, and I do think a lot of it will decide on who we hire as the offensive coordinator. And obviously nothing's confirmed with Zach Kitley at all, but you know, there are a lot of people, or I would say two, two people, especially that are usually fairly correct. You know, I mean, they're, they're usually pretty accurate when they say stuff and they both said it at the same time. So I think that it'll be, it'll be something that'll, you know, it's a name to watch. Um, but I definitely think that it'll definitely impact Bo Nix's decision on whether he stays or goes. Um, but I feel like that kind of wraps up, uh, that kind of wraps up the podcast. Obviously it was a, another little bit of a long one. Um, the goal as of right now is that when Auburn officially hires the new offensive coordinator, if we could hop on, like and get a quick pod, maybe like 20, 25 minutes, just kind of breaking down everything about him. Um, but you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens there. Obviously rough week, but Auburn will take on Yale and basketball, um, next or this coming Saturday and then play Nebraska the next week, uh, we'll have finals in between there. So obviously the players won't be playing basketball a ton because they'll have finals. So, um, Hopefully Auburn will have an offensive coordinator by our next podcast and we'll just continue to gain some ground on the recruiting trail. But uh, that kind of wraps up what we're talking about today. As always, if you guys have any questions, comments, concerns, feel free to DM the page and uh, ask or whatever, say whatever you want to. Um, But that just kind of wraps it up and we'll see you guys next week. War Eagle. War Eagle.